All right. How many of you noticed some big news this last week in the Supreme Court? Would you raise your hand if you have heard something going on? Some of you have been living underground, I guess. You didn't know, but... Anyway, I, I wanted to just share a few words about Roe v. Wade. And, uh, and if, if you're like me, you have friends... All right, guys. Bring it back. Church discipline. So, uh, so if you're like me, you have friends that are at, on, over the moon. Just like, finally... God has worked and moved in this powerful way and things have been set right forever. Wow, like celebrating. And you have other friends, because I've, I've got a lot of different kinds of friends. I have other friends that are grieving and saying like, now what? Like, who's bossing me around? Who's, and what does this mean now? For, you know, uh, so I wanted to share a couple of my uh, observations. I've done some research, some prayer, just kind of digging into this thing. And, and I think... Uh, from, I want to read this so I, don't, so I don't screw it up. But after 49 years and probably 63 million babies being aborted, this thing has been overturned. That's a massive change. So that is a cultural shift. It's an earthquake, if we were to say it that way. So it's not something that we take lightly and we go like, oh, good, that's done. No, this is like a, this is a big shift. And, and I also want to say this, it, it's not the time, I noticed a few people on Facebook going a little bit the wrong direction, but it's not the time to gloat over a judicial victory. It is time to celebrate the Lord of life who creates life and, and to celebrate that a whole bunch of unborn lives will be rescued and saved. That is fantastic. And there are some people that are really afraid about what that means, Okay. And so, so it's not, I don't, I don't get to tell people how they think. I can tell them how I think, and I can help them to process uh, what it means to value life, right? But I can't make them value life. I can just help them value life. Does that make sense? So the decision does not criminalize abortion. Some people are already, you know, having the signs and making the statements and saying, you're making it illegal, you're making it dangerous, you're going to kill women, you're going to, right? And that's not really what has happened. But what, what happens is it sends the decision and the legislation to the states. It empowers the states more. It empowers doctors more, which I think is interesting. That's all been part of the conversation with the Supreme Court, that now a woman and her doctor are chatting about what's happening. And so there's not just this blanket statement of, you have the right to an abortion because you are a US citizen. Now that is changed to say, now does the unborn have rights? Yeah, and how does that all work according to the Constitution? So that's really interesting. Um, so the states have more say, the doctors have more say, and, and I believe it's a, it's a big step towards restoring the dignity of an unborn life. So in that, I'm really excited because uh, that's been something that has been you know, changing over the last 50 years that... Uh, we used to think that life started at birth, and then we went, well, when does it start? And with modern technology, we're realizing, well, wait, it's probably conception. And so that has just changed a whole, there's a baby crying now. Uh, but that has changed our perception as a culture of when does life begin? And, and I think uh, even, let me say this, 
um, even 20 years ago, it, it seemed like uh, abortion was a little more casual. And I think that that has changed. Abortion uh, rates have gone down as women and men have understood, now wait, this is not a casual decision. This is a life. And so there, uh, to think that people like abortion is not true. But people want to keep it as an option. That's true. So we have to kind of be uh, honest with how people are dealing with it in their own mind, in, the, in their own lives as, as believers. So um, here's something else. Alito wrote, we don't pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today's decision. We can only do our job, and therefore the Constitution does not confer the right to an abortion. So that's a big change, is how, is, how, is the mom's, how are the mom's rights reflected in the Constitution, and how are the unborn child's rights reflected in the Constitution? Do a little research. It's fascinating as you, as you get into it. The, deci- the decision strengthens the rights of the unborn, but in a way it weakens a woman's right to privacy. But privacy is not something that's in the Constitution. There's, no def- there's n- nothing in there to defend my privacy from other people, which is interesting, or not very much in there. The end of Roe uh, will deliver more children safely in the world. Some, uh, especially in our country, but um, some people s- guessing 10 to 15% more babies will be born uh, almost right away, uh, just based on this shift. And it will also bring real hardships for mothers. So that, that's the other part of this. Many children will be born that would have previously been aborted, and they will be born to parents that are strained and struggling already. So that's part of the reality of this whole situation. So, so what's the best response for us as believers? I think number one is to look for all kinds of conversations that you can have with people about being pro-life and redefine what pro-life means to them. Because what, what they have seen is Republicans and conservatives are saying pro-unborn life, but I don't really like them once they're born. I'm not going to take care of the, the kid in child care or in, in foster care, but man, I'm going to make sure that, that they're not aborted. That, that's a dissonance in, in Christian culture that the Democrats have done a better job in some ways of caring for the born, and the Republicans have done the better job of caring for the unborn. I think the whole person matters, so what we need to be is having conversations about pro-all of life. And how do, how do we have that conversation with somebody so that, so that they don't pigeonhole me and say, you're just one of those conservative people who only cares about the unborn. I would say, no, I'm not. And my life will prove it. And, and our ministry with James Turhouse will prove it. So I think we need to be in that zone where we're, saying, we're challenging people and saying, I care about the unborn and the born. And, and how are we going to get after that? Amen? Um, so, and it's not about legislating morality on the masses, because people are going to choose to do right and wrong. I can't make them do right. But we can fight for the rights of unborn children in God's eyes whenever we have the power to do so, right? Um, here's the other thing. This is not the end of the conversation. This is a new beginning. And, and so what I mean by that is all the people, all of us who have prayed for this to happen over years, we need to be the ones that are first in line to care for these new families and new babies that are created by this change. And so we can't say, oh, good, that's done. No, now the work begins of incorporating new babies, new families, new single moms, new single dads into our church. 
into our lives, into our homes, and saying, here's the thing I, I, I saw at Planned Parenthood uh, over the years, there are some people holding up Bible verses, there are some people holding up, you're going to go to hell. I saw one lady that held up a sign that said, I'll help. And there was another lady that held up one that said, let's talk. And I was like, yes, that is absolutely right. So we need to be on the side of I'll help, and let's talk, and let's work this out together, and join my family, and that's going to be uncomfortable, and that's going to be bumpy. But that's what the Lord's called us to, to rescue babies, and children, and youth, and adults, and help them grow through their whole, through their whole life. Okay, um, and we need to create a culture of life in our churches and our communities and grow the organizations that are making a difference. So one of the big things with James Storehouse is, uh, is this phrase, to work together to break the multi-generational cycle of abuse, neglect, and poverty. So James Storehouse cracks that, that cycle and just interrupts it and says, no, you're worthy, we're going to help you, you can do this, we're going to give you parenting classes, we're going to give you the supplies you need. Uh, in, in fact, we might give you a grandmother that you never had. And, and we're going to give you a Bible and we're going to pray for you and we're going to help you succeed. And, and we need to come along organ, alongside organizations like that with volunteer hours, with prayer, with financial support, um, because there are organizations like that all over Ventura County, L.A. County, and the country that are going to need support because the need's going to grow. Okay? Amen. So before we move on, I, I just, I just want to pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, a miracle of lives being rescued. And I ask Jesus that your people around this country would represent you well in this moment of time, in this critical moment in time where there's an earthquake, where uh, women are afraid, and where uh, people aren't sure what this means long term, and where there's a lot of misinformation getting around. Uh, but Lord, I ask that in the middle of that, you would throw your love out in obvious ways, that your people would be on the front lines of caring for moms and kids and families in need, and Lord, that we'd be leading the charge of what's next in our country. Uh, and so, Lord, help us not to uh, throw grenades at people and judge people, but to love people and understand that most of the families in our church, in our community, in our country have been affected by this. And it's not time to judge. It's time to love like crazy. Yeah. Jesus, give us the opportunities to do it. Yeah. In your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Whew. Okay, we made it through that. But um, obviously, that's just the beginning. We will hear much more. Amen. Uh, so as, as you watch stuff on the news, as you're, you know, hey, why is she holding that sign? Hey, why is that happening? Just start praying for people. And you, may, you don't have to know them by name, but just kind of throw out the, air, the airstrikes in prayer. You know, pray for that city, pray for that organization, that church, that, you know, let's, let's be praying as, as we get into this. Okay, so uh, let me just recap our series for just a second. We have started a series two weeks back that's called Building Your Life. And the whole idea of this is building a life that matters, a life that's fruitful. What do you build it on? And we started two weeks ago talking about the great commandment where Jesus was asked of all the commandments, and there were 613 that the Jews thought were important, uh, what's the most important one? Which in a way was a trap. 
for Jesus. Like, how can you pass that test? Right? And he boiled it down. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And, in, uh, and he also added, uh, uh, he added mind. Uh, strength was in the original Shema, which means to hear, to listen, which is the Jewish traditional prayer that they start a day with and end a day with all the time. And then he said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So they said, what's the most important command? And he gave them two. And, and which one is the most important between the two? The answer is yes. Because we show our love for God by loving other people. We show our love for other people by putting God first and being who he's created us to be. And this cycle works together. And Jesus understood that like nobody else in that time. And so last week we got into what does it mean to love God as Father? And if you missed the teaching, check it out, because the real underlying part was if God wants to love you as your Father and you don't let him, that's not loving him. So how do you say, yes, please, be my dad? Even if you didn't have a good dad image, you know what that means, how do you allow God to father you? So we, last week we got into loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This week we're going to talk about loving our neighbor as ourself. Uh, because we have vertical relationships and we have horizontal relationships. And they affect each other. In fact, uh, the kind of God we really believe in is reflected in how we treat others. So just think about that for a second. The gospel of Jesus positions me to treat others as royalty because they're sons and daughters of the king. But other gospels, other lesser religions or teachings encourage me to treat other people like dirt, <laughs> less than, not children of the king, not, not royalty. And so we will live out horizontally what we believe to be true vertically. But someone might say, I love God. I just, it's just people that bother me. You know, I don't, I don't, like, I don't like all of you. Um, as long as it's just me and him and you leave me alone, I'm all good. Now we laugh, but especially through COVID, that's where a lot of people have ended up. Like it's easier to not deal with humanity. You know, I just get a little dose of it on TV I have my groceries delivered. I don't have to deal with any of you guys. But, but here's the thing. What, if, what would Jesus say if I said, I love you, I just don't like all of them? I mean, how's that going to fly when, when we face him someday? And he's like, how did you use what I gave you? And you're like, well, I spent some time with you, didn't I? I had my Jesus calling book on the, on the toilet. We read every morning. But he's going to say, like, well, what did you do with the people that I trusted you to love and reach and save? Like, really? And, and I, had this, I had this picture in my mind also as I was thinking about this. And I think Jesus would also say, hey, I put up with you, don't I? Right? I mean, who are you to not put up with somebody else? Um, if we're not treating one another well, what we're, not, what we're facing is not a lack of niceness. It's a lack of gospel. We're misunderstanding the whole thing. John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, love one another. Interesting, that's not really a new commandment. Old Testament says you're supposed to love people. But what he was saying was, no, this is, a, this is, this is the new way of living where you're loving people beyond what you're capable of through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, uh, as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. 
By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you notice what he said, as I have loved you? Love people. Holy cow! Like showstopper. How did he love them? He washed their feet. He taught them. He put up with all of their garbage. And he died for them. And then he says, hey, go, go do likewise. Like, that is a heck of a challenge, to love people the way that he did. And, and he's not giving us an out. He's like, that's how people are going to believe in me, is if you can love the way that I loved. So does that sound inconvenient? Welcome to Christianity. We're supposed to be dead people. God's not, God's not in, the, in the business of making you better. He, he's in the business of making you alive. Amen. So he's taking a dead human and making it into a spiritually alive human. He's not taking a good person and making you better. That's not Christianity, that's Buddhism. So if you want Christianity, it's understanding I'm a screw-up and I need a savior, and once he does his, his work in me, now i got something to give away. And he's the thing I bring to the party. That's Christianity. Amen. Okay, so there are three categories of people in our horizontal relationships. Spiritual family, physical family, and neighbors. So we're going to talk briefly about those, and then we're going to take communion together. So if you are out online watching or listening, get some communion elements ready so that you can join us when we get to that part. So how do we love each other well in the family of God? The best thing we can do is look at the one another passages in the New Testament, and they are all over the place. Now I want to give you a little test. Which of these, I'm going to give you the one another's test. Which of these one another's um, is not in the Bible? Okay, you ready? Humble one another. Scrutinize one another. Pressure one another. Embarrass one another. Corner one another. Interrupt one another. Disapprove of one another. There's a, there's a very Christian-y one. Confess one another's sins. Point out one another's failings distrust one another. You see where I'm going, right? None of those are in the Bible. And yet, sometimes in the church, we're known for those more than the real ones. So one another in English is two words. Uh, in Greek, it's one. And the word is alelon. Can you say alelon? It's used 100 times in 94 verses. And there are a whole bunch of one another's. Um, some big categories. One, about a third of them have to do with getting along with each other. So how do, you, how do I put up with Rob in my life? How does he put up with me, right? And how do we find peace and, and live in this thing that, in, a, in a relationship that looks different than the world? The next one, uh, the next big group, about a third of them, are about showing love to each other. So over and over and over again, the New Testament says, love one another, love one another, love one another. You know why? Because we're not that good at it, and we need a constant reminder of, oh, oh yeah, I'm supposed to love uh, each other. I'm invited to love the other. Of the rest, the largest group has to do with being humble. And then there are, there are some other ones that are minor, like uh, give one another a holy kiss. That's in there. And, uh, and, and then there are a lot of others that are just mentioned here, there, you know, one here, one there. Uh, but it's interesting how many have to do with being humble and not being prideful. 
So, so it's interesting. Look, look at that. Getting along, loving, and humility is what most of the one another's have to do. So if you took all afternoon and read all of them, that's, that's what you would take away from that. Let's look at John 17, 20. So, so this is, we call it the high priestly prayer. This is Jesus, his last uh, uh, big, big uh, prayer before the prayer in the garden, and then he goes to the cross. So what's on his mind, what's on his heart? So he prays for uh, his disciples, and then he prays for us those who will believe in him because of the disciples' message. So this is his prayer for us. And, and notice he says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. How close is Jesus with the Father? Inseparable? So his prayer is that we would be, what? Inseparable. We're easily separable. We're not inseparable. That's why he prayed this, right? And then he said, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe. That's that theme again. Love, unity matters. Not because you're supposed to, but because it shows the world that it's true. And if we don't show the world that it's true, then the world goes, ah, see, I knew it, it wasn't true. And, And look at the end down here, I love this. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And look right above that, complete unity. So Jesus' prayer is that the world would see his love in us and our love for the world shown just like he did. And that they would see a bunch of Jesus people running around. Do you know what Christian means? Christ one. You know where it came from? It was a derogatory term uh, where, I think it was in Antioch, where people said, You're just one of those little Christs. And then the church was like, yes, I am. And it stuck because they wanted to be little Christs. And and the question is, do I? Do you? Well, you're just one of those Jesus freaks. Well, if, you know, tell me what you mean by that. If you mean I love people like he did, yeah, I am one. I am a Jesus freak. If you mean I'm a weirdo who is judgmental of others, no, I'm not one of those. That would be a cool conversation in the jacuzzi some night, right? Where someone says, are you a Jesus freak? And you're like, let's define Jesus freak. If it's a Christian, then yeah, I am one of those. So let me get really practical. As we look at the one another's, and I look at the last two years, this crazy pressure cooker that we have been in, we have lost some people who were precious members of our church family because the one another's did not happen right. Because the one another's became secondary rather than primary. And, and people started being defensive and looking out for themselves and not trusting each other and not wanting to work on relationships. We lost some friends, some brothers and sisters, some people that it just makes me crazy to think about how the enemy did that. This is, a, this is a piece of the equation that's important. The enemy wants to keep us spread out. He wants you to not trust each other. He wants us to sit in church like we're a club, not like we're a family, so that when something goes wrong, we're like, oh, I'm finding another church. These people are nuts. You're probably the one that's nuts. Right? 
My dad used to say, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll screw it up. <laughs> but think, think about our thinking. And, and what happens is when loving gets hard, a lot of times we back out of the relationship. That happens in marriage. That happens in family systems. I mean, think about it. In many of our families have broken apart and people have said, I'm not going to work hard to love you. It's too hard. I can't do that right now. And, and I think we, we have a generation of people that have not been trained to love when it's hard. And we have to learn what it means to one another and what it means to sacrifice. And it, it means that I'm loving God in my relationships with people. And I'm loving people more than me. I'm, I want what's best for Len and Linda more than I want what's best for me. That's not human nature. That's God nature. And then if I have conflict with somebody, I say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Rather than, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. That whole fight and flight thing, that's human nature. That's not spirit nature. Spirit nature is not fight or flight. Spirit nature is, let's figure out how we can grow through this. Let's figure out what, what the Lord is up to. Let's come against what the enemy wants to do, and let's heal some relationships. Amen. So I had, I had a picture in my mind of... Um, Think, think about this. Is there anybody that if you saw them at the grocery store, you would hide on the next aisle? And they're a Christian. Okay, just think about that. Is there somebody in your life that you'd be like, you know, like, mm, I don't want to really see them, and you would, right? Now, picture yourself seeing them in heaven. Are you going to hide in heaven? I don't think there is any hiding in heaven, right? That's the whole idea. Eden was hiding. Adam and Eve, now we're not hiding. So, what does it look like if I see the person that I don't want to see in heaven? You know what it looks like? Brother and sister, and everything's fine. Because there's no, there's no memory of the, there's no issue of division and pain and distrust, because and, in heaven everything's good. How about if we live like that now? Amen. What if I think about this person that I don't want to see, and I see them, and I'm like, okay, Lord, what could I do? I actually had this happen. So I was at Albertson's about two months ago, and there was a guy that I'm, I'm like walking up to the door, and he parked, and I see him walking there, and I'm like, he's not going to want to see me. And I, it's more on his side than on my side, but there's a little trouble. And so I was like, ooh, here we go. We're walking. And I just saw him like, you know, kind of like a dog when they're in trouble, you know? So he was walking up to the door just like, you know, like this. And so, so I was like, hey, buddy, how you doing? It's good to see you. And, and then we, and I wasn't a pain. I was just normal. And so we, some of you are going to say, you are a pain. <laughs> I, but I wasn't a pain. So, so we just, we got our carts and we just walked in and I just caught up with him for like 20 seconds and I didn't stay on him and I just let him go because he didn't want to talk. But I just talked, asked him three questions about his life and then he went on. Now, the next time I see him, I don't think he'll hide. Because I don't think. We'll see. But, but I, I could have just avoided that whole thing. But I was like, I don't want to play that game. I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. I want healing to happen in the family. And healing sometimes is uncomfortable. Healing sometimes hurts. How many of you had surgery before? It hurts. But... The, in the long run, it's better. It's better than avoiding this whole thing. Okay, 
So here's a picture for you. This is the, the wheel from my mountain bike. It's a little dirty, which is good, right? It's a good sign for a mountain bike. So you'll notice that the spokes, when they get closer to the middle, what do they do? They get closer together. I think this is a picture of Jesus at the center of our church, Jesus at the center of his family. As we get closer to him, we get closer together, right? And as we get further away from him, we're further apart from each other. And so I think this is just a picture, a reminder of me. I'm like, well, if I draw closer to Jesus in the way that he wants me to, it's going to make me closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and if I'm pushing away from him or pushing away from each other, it's going to affect my relationship with Christ. If I'm, if I'm trying to avoid all of you, that's, that's not really Christian living. Does that make sense? Now, here's the other part of this. In life, this thing spins fast, which means you're going to have a tendency to just spin to the outside through busyness and centrifugal force, right? So there has to be intentionality to say, like, uh-uh. I'm staying tight with Jesus, I'm staying tight with you, and come hell or high water, I'm staying in the hub. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. I'm going to get my Bible all dirty now. Okay, so, um, oh, I heard a good quote. A, a Bible that is tattered and, and all torn up is owned by a life that is not. Isn't that good? Okay. Okay. Um, I had, a, I had a thought also about this, that yesterday the women got together and had lunch and had an awesome time just being together. There wasn't a giant agenda of we're going to accomplish X, but they just had an awesome time being sisters. Today, we as guys, we have our chance. We're going to meet at the Botanic Garden at 4. We're going to spend some time walking and praying and listening to the Lord. Some of you are not good at listening. We're going to do it anyway. And then we're going to go out and eat together and just enjoy each other's company. You know why? Because we're brothers and we want to be family. So we got to prioritize stuff like that. And I think those are examples of how we're going to stay tighter and so that if there's conflict, we know each other well enough, we're bonded enough that we can get through it. Okay. Uh, We've talked about loving our spiritual family and the one another's. In fact, I'll put a graphic on Instagram and Facebook this week that has all the one another's, so you can check them out. Um, Now, how do we love our physical families? Well, not just our spiritual families. 1 Timothy 5, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Boom, right? Well, I wonder what he means. (laughs) I I love how some people are like, you know, the Bible's so hard to understand. Like, um, no, it's really not. So, so here's the thing. In cults, in super conservative Christian movements, people isolate themselves and they push themselves away from their families and they pretend that those people are no longer their families. That's not Christian. That's not real life. The love that God gives us for our families is important and can also be challenging. And sometimes it's easier to leave the trouble of your family and just be part of the Christian club. You don't have to bother with them anymore. That's a cult. That's not what the New Testament talks about. Okay? So um, make sure that you don't neglect the people who are part of your home because they are your primary ministry. 
And those of us, especially pastors and uh, elders and worship leaders, and I mean, it's, it's become famous, unfortunately, recently, how bad the house the home situations, the marriages have been for Christian leaders. And that's why the falls happen, and it just turns into an absolute mess. Because church becomes the focus, not home. And, and that can, it's so easy for that to happen if you get so busy at church that your kids, your, your spouse, your, your family suffers. And that is not what, what Christ has called us to. Isaiah 58 says, don't neglect your own flesh and blood. Now, the context of Isaiah 58 is true fasting, true worship, true service. So it's caring for uh, homeless people, caring for the fatherless, caring for people who are in need. And then, right in the middle of it, God, through Isaiah, says, don't neglect your family. Yes, help people in need. Make sure your family's part of it with you. (laughs) Don't don't step over them and around them to go help people and neglect them. John Maxwell said uh, he defines success as having the people that are closest to you love and respect you. I don't think that's most of our definition of success. We would say, well, I'm going to do this and this and this and that. A lot of the most successful business people, their personal lives are in tatters. Their families hate them. That's not success. And, and some of them, not all of them, some of them would give it all away for a healthy relationships in their home, for kids that love and respect them, for a marriage that actually can last. So um, what do you want people to say at your funeral? Think about that. And do you want your kids, your brothers, your sisters, do you want them to say something nice at your funeral? You still have time. You're still, right? How many of you still have a pulse? Okay, Um, what do you want them to know about Jesus based on your life? Words are cheap. Actions speak louder than words. So if you tell your brother or sister that you love them, but you don't show them, if they see you all about Christianity and the church, but you're not loving them, what are you telling them? Our actions and our words need to match. And sometimes that's hardest at home, but it's most important at home. Okay, so um, we've talked about loving our spiritual family, loving our physical family. The last thing we're going to talk about is neighbors. How many of you remember Mr. Rogers, right? Will you be my neighbor? And actually a pretty, pretty neat guy. So he, I guess he was a licensed minister and a pretty awesome dude. Uh, Luke 10, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, Jesus said. How do you read it? So the guy said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. So this is the, what we talked about, the great commandments. And then Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Now the guy should have walked away and said, okay, yes, sir. But he didn't. He pushed his luck because he wasn't sure how broad is neighbor. Do I have to love that guy? Do I have to love her? Do I have to love them? You know, those people on the other side of the tracks? What about them? And so Jesus told him a story to define neighbor. Do you remember what the story is? The Good Samaritan. So do you remember how the Good Samaritan story goes? There's a Jew who's on the road, and he gets beat up by robbers. Okay, he's left for dead. Everything's gone. He's in bad shape. 
So a priest walks by and goes, I'm not getting involved in that. A Levite, so another guy who works at the church, the worship leader, probably. Anyway, he walks by, and, and he goes, I'm not getting my, you know, and they had reasons. Like, if I touch that guy and he's dead, now I can't go to the temple. If I touch that guy and I get blood on me, now I've got to go purify myself. I got... So they had excuses. We all have excuses, right? So they walked right by him. But a Samaritan, who's an enemy, stopped, had mercy on the guy, puts him on his own donkey, so he, which means he got off his donkey to help the man. Right? We can assume that based on the passage. So he got off his donkey and put the man there to help him. He took him to an inn. He paid. He took care of his wounds, paid for the guy to, um, to have medical care. And he said, I'll be back and check on him. So then at the end of the story, Jesus goes back to this religious teacher, and he goes, so dude, who was a neighbor to that man? Right? And so he's wishing he could have said the priest or the Levite. They didn't make the cut. And he's like, the man who had mercy on him. Yep. So Jesus said, go and do likewise. So mercy. the man who had mercy, the man who loved, was the neighbor. Now check this out. The neighbor was nothing like him. The neighbor happened to be in his path, literally in his way. He was a nuisance. He was an interruption. He wasn't part of the day's plan of business and carrying, carrying on his, his work. There's this guy bleeding. Shoot, what am I going to do? I, I guess I need to help him. Mercy and love is neighboring. Amen. Walking the other way and being religious, not, na- not neighboring. So, um, love is the answer. And we might say, well, what was the question? Love is the answer. Now, that doesn't mean that we're wimpy. It doesn't mean that we, you know, that we just uh, blow rainbows. Uh, but it does mean that everything I say, everything I do, should be colored and informed by love. Now, there's tough love, right? And Jesus came full of grace and truth. So Jesus was a truth teller but he also had the grace side, so people did not see Jesus as a huge, uh, angry guy. But they were afraid of him at the right times because he brought it. But notice this. I was, I was talking with a friend this week. Um, Jesus did not defend himself. He defended God's reputation, and he defended other people. So if they wanted to hurt him, he's like, bring it. He didn't defend himself. He zipped his lip. And, and he let it come. But if they messed on the temple and they messed up prayer and the religious leaders put um, uh, like all these laws on people's backs that they couldn't even handle, uh-uh, then he, he took them down. But I think that's interesting. He wasn't known as the guy who takes everybody down. He was known as the guy who loves everybody, including the poor, including the, including the, including the, and he also told the truth. So, um, your neighbor is anybody who crosses your path, not just those who live near you. So we have geographic neighbors. We also have neighbors of proximity and relationship. You have Starbucks neighbors. You have Albertson's neighbors. You have baseball neighbors. You have library work, parking lot neighbors. You, you have, right? You have homeless neighbors that you see and you drive by and you talk with sometimes. We have all kinds of neighbors. Um, I, I believe that God wants to... I feel like before COVID, our church was very outward-focused. 
lots of community outreach projects happening. We were at Thunderbird all the time. We were doing Friday night dinners all the time. We were doing a whole bunch of stuff out in the community. I think through COVID, there was a little bit of a shrink back of like, hey, we got to survive. Um, let's get healthy. And now I believe that there's a season of breathing out again coming this fall where we're gonna get much more involved out in the community. I think the James Storehouse event is a great first step. Our youth, we're talking about getting them out and serving more. We're gonna be sending trips to Mexico. We're gonna be doing a lot more stuff that's out there. In fact, socks and underwear, everybody, that's a way of caring for your neighbor. I mean, that's, that's not hard. That's something that we can all do. Amen? Amen? 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from... Whoever does not love does not know because God is love. Think about that. God is love. Now, that doesn't mean he's impersonal. It just means that this, this some would argue, is his primary characteristic, that he is love. You can't separate him from being loving. You can't say, well, he was loving here and he was not loving there. Always loving. Always consistent always uh, showing us how to love. Verse 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So God did not give you a job you can't do. And he didn't say, do as I say, not as I do, as a bad parent. He's a good parent. He said, I'm going to love you like crazy, and I'm going to send you to love others like crazy, and I'm going to give you my spirit. Remember it said God is love? That means the Holy Spirit is love. So he's going to give you the Holy Spirit, which empowers love in you. So, so it's not about trying harder and working harder, and I've got to figure this out. And it's, no, it's really about saying, Lord, work through me. Help me be more like you. Help me take on the family resemblance. And if you are love, I want to be love too. Right? Okay. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. That last word is fascinating, made complete. It means perfect or finished. In other words, the work that God started in creation, the work that God did through Jesus to rescue you, the work of the Holy Spirit in you to reach others is made complete in love. You finish the work of God in your life as you allow him to use your life. It gets finished and completed on planet Earth. So what does that mean? That means that if you pull the e-brake and you're not willing to do it, you're blocking what God wants to do in and through your life to love and serve others. And, and he is going to talk to you about it if you allow him to. And get that e-brake off and get you back on the road of loving other people. So a question is this, are you as a follower of Jesus known for your love for other believers? Well, maybe. Are you as a follower of Jesus known for your love for your family? Ooh, that's harder. Are you as a follower of Jesus known for loving neighbors and loving people who are not like you? Most of us are not 100% on all three. In fact, I would say none of us are 100% on all three, myself included. But that's where we got to begin. we got to say, Lord, how could I be more loving with that segment of my life? 
So just think about that. Where's the area in your life where you need to put some attention? Is it your home? I need to love them more. Is it your church family? I need to go to that thing at the Botanic Garden even though I don't want to. I'm going to go do that. Or, or is it your neighbor? Is it like, you know, I, I don't like people that are not like me. They make me scared. They make me... We've got to get over the excuses and you can just say, Lord, help me to find a way to serve people that are not like me. Help me to find a way to be your messenger of grace in people's lives. Amen? Amen? So I want to ask the band to come up and we're going to celebrate communion together. And I, I love this word celebrate. Because I used to say, we're going to take communion. We're going to recognize communion, you know, with a deep voice. But I think the, the better way of looking at that is we're going to celebrate communion. And, and do you know why it's called that? Because we're communing with each other as the body of Christ. We're communi- communing with the Lord as he welcomes us to his table. And so we have the vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship happening at the same time. And as his body was broken for us 2,000 years ago, his mystical body, that's the word that you know, the super spiritual people use, comes back together in communion and we're reunited in him. That's interesting. Now, are we always united in him? Yes. There's something physical that happens when we do this too. And that's why Paul said, when you take communion, be careful. Don't drink judgment on yourself. Make sure that you're right with him. Make sure you're right with each other. Or don't do it. And so uh, I think in some churches it's just like peer pressure. Like, well, we all take communion because, you know, we don't want to look silly. Um, Don't be like that. Just say, Lord, I want to thank you for your sacrifice for me. And... I want to make sure that I'm at peace with others. So if you need to ask somebody's forgiveness for something, now let, let, me, let me qualify this. I've had a few people come up, come up to me and say like, you know, I haven't liked you for like eight years and I just want to ask your forgiveness. And I'm like, I thought they liked me. So <laughs> you can be very inappropriate with asking forgiveness, But just ask the Lord and say, Lord, is there a barrier that I have between me and somebody else? What's the best thing I can do about that? How do I solve that? How do I get that past so that I can worship you and love others with with like open open lines, right? Does that make sense? So if there is somebody that needs your forgiveness or you need to forgive, um, just process that with the Lord. And if they're in this room, that's great. Uh, It may be a good time to go talk to them and just say, "Hey, hey, I'm sorry about that thing I said. Or just, just say, Lord, this week I'm going to talk to so-and-so. Make a note on your phone, because you may not be able to text them. You may need to talk to them. And, and after you've committed, like, Lord, I'm going to do this. Come on up and take communion, okay? But just take a minute and reflect on the Lord's sacrifice and reflect on what it means to be part of his body and to commune with him and each other. And then when you're ready, come on up. And these are gluten-free, you're welcome, crackers. And you can dip them in the grape juice. We also have some uh, pre-wrapped ones if you don't want to touch anything that other people are touching. I get it this time of year. Okay? Okay. This is your time with the Lord, so come up when you're ready.